Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff and Eric with you here on a uh, Wednesday night, the eve of the NFL draft. We're going to we talk about some football, Eric. Heck yeah. Oh. One of my favorite times of the year where the Dolphins disappointment with draft picks and see where UCF guys end up. All right. I don't think you're gonna be disappointed this year with the Dolphins. I think you'll be I think you'll be happy. I think you'll be about recently, as happy I've been as you fine. were yeah, as you were last year with two. I think you'll be I think you'll be pretty happy about it. So we're gonna start by talking NFL draft. We got lots to talk about. A uh, great weekend for UCF tennis. Wow, what a uh, what a time they had, both men's and women's winning the American. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about golf. The women are back in the NCAA tournament. Uh, in the NCAA regionals, I should say. Uh, and we also got uh, baseball turning the corner a little bit here, Elo. They're we com- hope. We hope. They're getting, they're Hopefully. heating up. They're yeah, heating and up. I, right. I got to get, I got to go after some of the cynics out there. The You know, I was very optimistic on the social media and they were very pessimistic. So I got a question for those people. You know what? It's, general, it's, you know. I, I am totally okay with you zigging when everyone else zags, Eric. Yeah, we'll get, totally okay we'll get into that later. We'll get into that. Uh, softball also a little bit later, and uh, and a record new record set in UCF track. But uh, we start with the NFL draft, and for that we bring in our resident NFL draft expert Andrew Glukov. He's in his uh, war room. He's in his. He's, dis- in, the, he's in the war room. In uh, <laughs> in uh, that's why his that's why his audio isn't so good because he doesn't have that fresh microphone that he likes to show off to us every single time. Drew, what's up, dude? I, I am remote tonight. I am not at home. Are you trying to like get like secret information on what the Browns are doing or what who's gonna take or who's gonna draft UCF players? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you, you have Kevin Costner on speed dial? What's the deal? <laughs> oh, gee, I do not want to trade away uh, my hometown team's first round draft pick. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll go. Ahead. All right, let's start. We're going to talk about the UCF guys that are that are going to come available. Who we think is going to get picked? Who we think is going to have a uh, an undrafted free agent situation? The the consensus right now is that the top two UCF players who could get picked, and it could be either or who goes first, are Richie Grant and Aaron Robinson, the two defensive backs. Officially, Richie's listed as a safety. Aaron's listed as a corner. Aaron's gotten a lot of pre-draft pub. I think Richie's kind of flown under the radar, but everyone's just like, yeah, Richie's a no-brainer. He's gonna, He's got to go somewhere. Um, I'm looking at, uh, what is this, drafttech.com, because that was the first place that I clicked on when I, w- when I, was, when I was Googling. And, uh, and they have Richie as 30th overall, which would put him in the first round. I think it's a possibility that one of yeah. these two, guy, two guys could go late, first round it's a possibility i'm not saying it's a definite possibility but it's a possibility 
Drew, who do you think is going first, and and when do you think they will go? Uh, I think it's going to be Richie Grant, but I think he's going to slide in the early second round. Uh, it's, it's more of just a demand thing. There's more demand for corners. And one of the things that makes Aaron Robinson so valuable in the corner market is his versatility. One of the things that Randy Shannon used him for is uh, he used him like Jabril Peppers, except, you know, as, as opposed to being a safety, but he moved him everywhere. He played corner he, uh, on the outside. He played against the slot. He played as a third linebacker. He was very versatile, but he's obviously undersized for that linebacker aspect. But that, that gives a lot of, of, lot of knowledge and experience that translates well to the NFL. But Richie Grant is, is better as far as positional rankings go. I mean, Depending on who you ask, he's top three. He's one, two, or three. He, you know, just somewhere in the middle of there. And I mean, he, he looks real good. And, you know, two-star prospect, has really grown. And I, I think ultimately Grant will be the first guy picked only for the fact of, of need. You know? Interesting, like, because I feel like could either of these guys, like, change positions like i know richie's listed as a safety but could he move to corner to pay depending on where he goes and likewise could aaron robinson possibly move to safety at all or are we just thinking that that's where they're locked in right now i feel it's like it's more likely richie could kind of play both could kind of play both positions what do you think uh well from his from his positional drill uh, analysis i mean he he covered like uh grant uh richie grant covered like a corner but is but is is playing as a safety. So I'm, could he convert? Yeah, he could convert. Do I think he will? No, I think there's more of a chance of Aaron Robinson converting yeah. because he's already shown proof of that versatility. Uh, he he can play center field. He can play you know uptight on man, and he can play a, as a as a zone backer. So I, if anyone's going to move positions, it's going to be Aaron Robinson. But I think both are pretty locked in where they're at. All right. So you're saying day two for both of them. I'm saying early, uh, day two for both of them on the early half of day two. Okay. Who's the next guy who's going to go off the board? We've been hearing a lot about uh, uh, you know, Tay Gowan being a possibility. Tay certainly has the size to be an NFL defensive back. Um, there's been some grumblings about Jake. Maybe, could Jacob Harris even get be the next guy selected? Um, who do you like as the third guy to go? Uh, it's Tay Gowan. Uh, he he looked really good in 2019. I, he did himself an NFL disservice um, by opting out of 2020 and then not coming back to school. Uh, I'm not going to judge him for that decision. Everyone does their own thing. But from a strict NFL standpoint, he did himself a disservice because he only had one year at UCF. That's not a lot of film. Uh, you know, sometimes it works out really well, like like with Mike Hughes. But Tay Gow needed a little bit more. That 2019 defense was stout. Uh, statistically, uh, the best defense uh, in the Frost-Heipel era by far was that 2019 squad. And he was a big part of it. So, I mean, you, you have very high hopes for him. He, he didn't look all that rusty uh, going through his pro day. A little bit here and there. But for the most part, he looked pretty smooth. Uh, he had a good shift within his hips. And was able to move rather well, but you just wish there was more film. But I, I think he still could end up being a day two pick, maybe third or fourth round, uh, at the fourth at the worst. But I, I think third round is a very realistic op uh, a 
very very risky observation for uh, for Tay Gowan. Elo, go ahead. Well, I, I, I first of all, first of all, I, I, I agree. I think Richie Grant's going to be the first player. Mel Kiper, by the way, who released his final board. This is the board they're going to highlight, depending on which coverage you watch. If you watch the Kiper version on ESPN, he's got his big board. He's got Richie Grant number fifty overall. Uh, he's the number two safety ranked in Mel Kiper's board, and he actually wrote about Richie Grant, which I'm actually trying to grab right now. He's very high on Grant. He's got uh, Robinson 76 on his board, and he's got uh, Gat McGowan at like 96 from what I'm looking right now at this board on ESPN Plus, by the way, as we provides content as well. Another reason why it's not just ESPN streaming. Plus. It's also plenty of content, right? It's just the content I'm giving you people right now. It's Kuiper's big board, right? The lead in. So uh, I think Grant's a round two to round three. I think uh, I agree with you, Andrew, on your, you know, there as far as where he probably ends up. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm, I think, I would argue, let me ask you both this. I can make the argument that Richie Grant maybe is the best UCF prospect in the NFL draft. I know you're going to say Mike Hughes. That's kind of a, you know, he transferred out of Carolina one year. If you want to count him, that's fine. But I'm talking from a guy that's played his entire career at UCF. Richie Grant might be the best UCF prospect they've had in the NFL draft in maybe a closer to a deck since when? Since when? Because I think it's been a while. Well, I don't know. You tell us since when. I, I think you could go back a decade. I think he's better than all the guys that have been drafted recently. I think he could be a Pro Bowl safety. I think he is that good. Uh, you know, and, and I really believe that he's going to get drafted. So I would be surprised if he wasn't the first UCF guy I, drafted. I, 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 to be honest with you, I think that whoever does take him, I think if, they just, if, you know, if he goes where you say he's going to go, and I do think that's probably where we go, early second round, he's going to be a steal. People are going to be looking yep. back on that saying, man, look at all these teams that passed on Richie Grant. Yep. Here's what Mel Kuyper says on his, on his article about Richie Grant. Grant is one of my favorite players in this class. He could play as a deep safety or close to the line of scrimmage. He has 10 interceptions and forced six fumbles in his career. And then how about this for a stat to know? Richie Grant has committed one penalty in 2,381 defensive snaps. <laughs> Wow. That's crazy. How about that? That's, that's crazy. first of all, that's a hell of a stat. Second of all, holy smokes, Richie Grant! It's remarkable, right? Like I'm telling you, I think he's a steal. I think he's going to be a Pro Bowler. I think he's better than all the secondary guys UCF has produced. Um, and I'm trying to think at the top of my head right now. I could make the argument that he's the best pro prospect if you want. Maybe since Bortles, since Bortles. Because Bortles, you know, went number three, so you have to count him. Well, there's a I mean, blazing I, hot take. Go ahead, Andrew. I gotta say, um, Bortles was overrated at three. He was he was drafted because of his okay. size more than anything else. Um, I, obviously, he he had not lived up to expectations as a third pick. But I, I that's that's not really that's not really you know a fair comparison. I think that's actually selling Grant short. Uh, Okay, you want to go further then? You want to go further? Okay, I'm fine with that. Well, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't disagree with you. I'm, uh, he's he's done it all, and and to prove that once again, stars don't really matter. He was a two star guy that no right. one really Agreed. cared about. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and look and look how he developed. I mean, it was all about you know you know the cerebral aspect of of, of developing. 
I think, you know, the, the closest guy that, that it qualifies is, is Brandon Marshall at that point. Yeah, and yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was a third-round pick from pound for pound. Yeah, yeah. yeah I like that comparison. I like that comparison. Draft, you know, after completely tearing it up in the 05 Hawaii Bowl and everyone took notice, Got got bumped up to the third round because originally no one really paid much attention to Marshall because Mike Walker was the guy everyone was following you know, as far as UCF receivers. Marshall's had an outstanding career, and I, I think Grant's in a great position to do to do the same. Hopefully I agree. That's a good comparison. Stuff. It's a good comparison because I know some people in the audience right now are like, "What about Gabe Davis? What about the?" What I'm saying is. I think Richie Grant and Brandon Marshall, I like that comparison because Brandon's had a Hall of Fame career. Nobody really, you know, thought that at the time when they drafted him, but he ended up having – I think Richie could have that type of impact. That's how highly I think of him. Well, and the, and the thing about Gabe Davis – And I'm scared because I think Belichick's going to steal him too. <laughs> I don't I don't want to make a dig on Gabe Davis. That's not fair to him. Uh, the problem with Gabe is, is, is the fact there's not enough data on him. Right. Uh, he just – he's he, – you had his rookie year and that's it. And, and it's not fair to, to, to judge against him for just that one year. It's not like he flamed out. No, he's got a lot of potential, but I, I think and he Richie had a pretty Grant, good rookie year to be fair. Oh, he had a great rookie year. And I think the, 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 the storm and he'll have a nice of, career and I think he'll have a good NFL career, but uh, I, I'm speaking highly of Richie that I think he could be a pro bowl guy. Like I think he could, he could be I, a game changer. I really do. I really do. I love his game, watching him in person. I mean, Jeff, you've seen him up close. Yep. He just has a knack for the ball. That's why I agree with Andrew. I would not move him from safety because he knows – He remind, he's like a poor version Ed Reed when I saw Ed Reed at Miami. He's not, he's not Ed Reed. I'm not saying he's Ed Reed. I'm just saying he's got those knack that he's around the ball all the time. And I think NFL they, teams love that. on the poor man's Ed Reed. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be honest. The guy that came to mind for me was Eric Turner. Of course, I, I'm a Cleveland guy, so there you uh, go. You know, wait, got to turn the clock back a lot. Uh, you know, rest in peace, man. Uh, but uh, Eric Turner was was an outstanding safety. Had a knack for the ball. Was able to make really good tackles, uh, and that's something that Richie Grant also does. That's unheralded. Is he makes tackles too? Uh, he definitely plays bigger than he is. And yes. I think he has a chance to be a real game changer at his position because, you know, most safeties are either one or the other, they're either a hard hitter or they got hands and he's got both. Yeah. Now, interesting about, I want to bring up the Gowan versus Robinson. Robinson will get higher drafted. I agree with you, Andrew. I, I've been reading more and more, even NFL scouts have said that if it, if it's close between two t uh, players, they're going to pick the guy that played this past season over the guy that skipped the year. So I think that could hurt Gowan a little bit. Although, let me defend Tay. He was very open on why he made that decision. He's a father. He was he's thinking as a father. So I don't I don't oh, think yeah. we should I don't I don't think he cared about, "Hey, if I drop around, I think he he didn't care where he was going to land up in the draft. I think he was worried about his family first, and I think he figured, "You know what? Wherever I get drafted, I get drafted." So that that's kind of my stance on that. But let yeah, me yeah. go ahead. I would say, I, I, and, and I kind of hit it before, I, I want to make sure that no one thinks that I'm dogging him for making the choice that he did. Yeah. Uh, I probably would have made the same in the same situation. Uh, family is very important to me, too. Uh, that that's I, I was just speaking strictly from the NFL standpoint. He did himself a disservice because it probably hurt him in the draft. Sure. But uh, you know what? If you get drafted, all you got to do is get in and let your play do the talking. Let me ask you both about these two guys, and then we'll move to other guys. 
Robinson is obviously the higher prospect, you know, and things like that. Could we see a scenario here, though? Because this has kind of weirdly happened to UCF. I think back to Josh Robinson was the big prospect. The guy playing opposite of him was the afterthought named A.J. Bouye. Well, it turns out Bouye had the better pro career for various reasons. Robinson had injuries, things like that. Any chance we could see this where, yes, Robinson gets drafted higher, but maybe Gowan is the guy that lasts longer, has a better pro career? Because I really liked him when I saw him in the field 2019. I think that depends a lot on which teams they go to. Agreed. But I, 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 I don't think that there's anything that we can, I mean, sure, there's a possibility that that could happen, but I think I just, that I like Gowan. I, I don't think I, that that has, I don't think that that has, I don't think that where they get drafted or, you know, in terms of which slot they get drafted, it has any bearing on that. I, I think it, it entirely well, I'm depends just saying, on if you had which to make teams the, pick them up and where, and the injury luck. I think you mentioned that's part of yes, it. Yes. Um, we can't really say. I don't think that, I don't think that's, that's fair to evaluate that. I just, I personally like Gowan better than Robinson. Uh, and I know I'm in the minority on that, but just as far as watching him, and it's tough because one took the year off and things like that. I know Robinson has more upside. I just think Gowan's going to be that. There's always that secondary guys that get drafted later in the day in the back end that end up being on the roster for a decade. <laughs> yes, yeah, let me ask Drew. Let me let me ask you about the offensive side of the ball because kind of not a whole lot going on for UCF in terms of early in the draft. Who do you think is the first UCF offensive player to be drafted, if any? Uh, I think it's going to be Trey Nixon. Uh, I think he's the, the the most prototypical player on the offensive side. He's got, you know, he's a little bit short, but he's got decent size. Was he a little over six feet tall? I don't have the information in front of me. Uh, you know, he's got size. He's got a little bit of size. He's got strength. He's got speed, and he he he's got hands. I mean, he's he's shown it all, and uh, I think he's got the closest to the complete package on the offensive side of any of the players. Uh, and then that'll warrant him getting the first draft pick as far as, as far as the offensive side. Uh, Jacob Harris made some big news for himself at the com at the combine at the, um, at the pro day. Um, I mean, you can see it, right? I mean, you could see the best case scenario happening. He's six, five, he's, He's you know 220 some 220 230 pounds big NFL body nice big target for some quarterback to throw up to we know he's fast he's we know he's strong um, the question is can he you know can he eliminate the drop problems that he had at UCF do you see him getting a shot in the draft or do you see him maybe being like a UDFA project uh, I, I could see a team taking a flyer on him you know late sixth seventh round. Uh, low risk move. I mean, you can't uh, you can't teach size. You can't teach speed. Uh, these are these are intangibles that that you know either you're gifted with them or you're not. And, and Harris is a physical specimen. I mean, he's he's big. He's strong. He's fast. He's agile. He's got everything, but he's got hands made out of stone. Uh, one of the talks is moving him to tight end which actually would be a, nat- a very natural fit for him you, know, you put a 15 20 pounds on him which an nfl team should have no problem doing and he's even said that he's open to moving positions uh tight end would be a, ma- a normal fit for him especially for that yeah. size yeah i feel uh, like he's, he's he is, could almost be like evan ingram in that respect right yeah and the, and the thing is you don't have to have great hands to be a great tight end you can be a blocking tight end uh you just he just has to be taught the technique and 
know, I could see the team making a project out of them because if it works, you've got uh, a, a great physical force there. If it doesn't work, hey, no, we try. It's low, low risk investment. I can see, I can see a flyer being thrown on him. Uh, one of the guys now, okay, the guy who I think is like everywhere. I don't just go to, unlike Eric, I don't just go to Kuiper. I kind of go a whole, a whole bunch of different places, and I try to figure out a little. I, I kind of got, I kind of like create like this bell curve in my head of where I kind of see guys ranking. The one guy I cannot get a read on at all from any of the rankings is Marlon Williams. I've seen him as high as 123rd. Um, I've seen him as low as not being drafted at all. What do we know about Marlon Williams? Ooh, Marlon Williams is a tough one because he, he's like Dr. Jekyll, and Mr. Hyde. Uh, he's, when you watch his game film, he does things so well. He, he, he's great at route running. He's got great hands. He can block. He's got agility. He can avoid tackles. He has field awareness. Unbelievable then, hands. Oh, yeah. And then you put him in the drills, and he was terrible, just dreadful in his measurables. He, he's undersized. He's, he's under speed. He's under uh, agile. Uh, basically, everything that you don't want in a wide receiver from the pro day, that was him and his measurables. But when you look at game film, it's a completely different player. Uh, I mean, he, he's a, a great downfield blocker, which you needed in wide receivers. Uh, that's one reason why he ranges so much. And the problem is the, the NFL sometimes gets stuck uh, with this idea of, you know, we want you know big. Well, I've got news. Uh, let's look at my Cleveland Browns. Jarvis Landry, under six feet. Odell Beckham, under six feet. Uh, you can be good and not, you know, have huge size. Or huge speed because Jarvis Landry had a terrible forty uh, before he was drafted. Uh, the key is he needs to get on the field, and and I can see uh, another team taking uh, a flyer on him late. Uh, I, I think he's undervalued. Uh, I think he's a fifth round value as far as a player, but I, him falling out of draft is a very very well. The problem is from situation. a tape. The problem is really he had the one big year. Right, like he was kind of a role receiver. He didn't really stand out elsewhere. Plus, he had that foot injury at the end of the year, which we don't know a lot about, but I'm sure NFL teams do. Well, yeah, <laughs> excuse me, and uh, that that kept him out of the uh, out of the bowl game. I think the, in the last game, uh, he wisely decided to focus on healing. Uh, there was no reason for him to play the bowl game at BYU. Uh, definitely didn't need to play that game. It was a cluster to begin with, but. <laughs> Uh, I'm the, the the truth is you're right. Uh, he he was always the other guy, you know. But you know, Traquan Smith, uh, Gabe Davis. I mean, he was always the other guy, and and it wasn't until 2020 that he had a chance to shine, especially with Trey Nixon out getting but hurt. When, when Trey Nixon got hurt and he was out, uh, uh, Jalen Robinson started started taking over. One of the knocks against Marlon Williams, which is a knock, it was the same knock that hit Trey Quan Smith and the same knock that hit Gabe Davis and will probably hit Trey Nixon, is they're viewed as system players. You, know, you have this offense designed to just fly down the field uh, and, and you basically are just speed burning. Uh, that, that's, that doesn't show much technique to it. That's just, you know, just physical power. And, and 
it's one reason why if you look at the rankings for quarterbacks, uh, Dylan Gabriel's not ranked as high as people would think he was. And it goes back to the fact that he's viewed as a system guy. Uh, I think this will be a great opportunity in 2021 for him to shake that moniker because with the, with Gus, with Gus, especially. Yeah. Yeah. With, with a, an offense that's a lot more traditional in its short to medium range play, not, not focused on the deep ball all the time, but uh, that's going to dog Marlin in the draft uh, more so than anyone else, because that's what his, his yardage was built on was built on those, you know, those plays that end up being, downfield, down the sideline, and and that's not what the NFL's about. The last two guys we got to ask you about are the two backs, Uh, Mm -hmm. Otis Anderson, the slash back, obviously, and uh, Mm -hmm. Greg McRae. Um, The biggest issue in looking at both of their evaluations is, you know, hey, really talented, super fast, but they're small. So UDFA projects, both of them, are we thinking? Yeah, in fact, uh, I think Otis has a better chance of sticking because of his experience as a return man. Uh, right. You can be a small guy and be a return man. It's the same thing that may keep Adrian Killens in the league for a little bit. Uh, but, you know, very rarely do you have a guy that size, you know, excel in the league. I, yeah, he's five, Greg, listed at 5'8", 179. Yeah, the, the last guy about that size, his name was Warwick Dunn, who really excelled in the NFL. I mean, he was about five, eight buck 85. Well, well, let's, well, I mean, you know, Darren Sproles, Darren Sproles was, was, was incredibly built though. He was right. He was, he was built like I a mean, bowling ball. Yeah. Yeah. That's different. Um, you don't have that with either McCray or Anderson. Uh, they're not built like a wrecking ball. Uh, they're built more like a typical, you know, small scat back. And, you know, there's 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 a possible place for them in the league, but I, it's going to be really hard to latch on. Uh, one of the big things I saw against Greg McRae is he hesitates a lot, and you're going to have to to you know make your move through the hole a little bit quicker in the NFL. The, the play doesn't always develop for you. Uh, you have to be able to make quicker decisions. But I mean, if, if they talk to to work done and try to go his you know go to that school. Of running back, and there, there could be hope. I don't think either is going to stick, though. Yeah, Greg McCray is also listed at 5'10, 182. Yeah, and, and I think one of the interesting things, I'm looking at Lance Zerline at the NFL, his, uh, uh, his uh, analysis, which I think is, you know, thin linear frame, tough to overcome in the eyes of NFL evaluators, but his tape, he has tape showing his talent as a slasher with plenty of heart. Sees run lane development faster than many running backs in this draft, and his smooth processing from his eyes to his feet. That's all true, you know. And I think that's what that's what made him the leading rusher on this team two of the last three years. But again, it, you're just going to have some teams that it's a. We hear this quote all the time, right? It's a numbers game. We're just going to see too many teams that look at it, look at him, and say if it's a choice between, you know, a guy who's going to be like our fourth running back and special teamer, right? They're going to choose the guy who's like 6'1", 205, as opposed to a guy who's 5'10", 179. And it stinks because I would love to see Greg McRae in, well, in, in an NFL espe- uniform. But yeah, Especially you know, in a position tough. that right now is not a priority in the NFL. Teams True. don't go out of their way to draft running backs. And the, other, and the other thing is, too, like Greg didn't catch that many passes. Nope. And, and to be honest with you, Otis didn't either, although he was a receiving option. I mean, obviously he was listed as a running back slash 
receiver, but you know, and we know him from making big plays in the passing game, right? But in terms of sheer volume of catches, uh, he really didn't have that many, especially I think you know heading into last year because I felt like Heupel used him way, way more in the backfield than he did outside, right, Drew? Oh yeah, it was more Scott Frost who used him as as uh, a utility player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Heupel used him more as, as an exclusive running back. And, and they didn't do it too many checkdowns either. Uh, that, yeah. that was actually one thing I noticed during the spring game this past month is the fact they were using the running back as a checkdown a lot more, uh, which is actually really encouraging because you know, you're going to need sometimes that third and fourth read on plays as opposed to just force it in there and hope for the best. Yeah. Do you see, do you see like Otis as maybe like a, um, kind of like what I thought, you know, Adrian Killens would be like kind of a Tyreek Hill sort of gadget guy. I mean, he could be, he's more experienced at returning than Adrian Killens. Killens is just a flat out burner. Uh, Otis Anderson, because he's not as fast as, as Killens, uh, is a little more savvy running the ball. Although that's Uh, not to say he's not fast. He, you know, not to say he's not fast, but I mean, Adrian Killens is really fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, it's, I, I guess you could say that's not a dig. It's it's kind of like trying to say uh, you're not as fast as Usain Bolt. I mean, you may be great, but I mean, come on. Yeah. Right. Last word to you, Eric. Well, let's make our predictions here. So let's see if when you guys agree, disagree here. So I think we all on the same page. Richie Grant, round two, round three range. I'm thinking. Okay, let's. Let's do let's do it this way. I want to do it this way. Let's do which guys go day day one, day two, day three, and then which guys go undrafted. Um, I'm thinking nobody on day one. Although if we're lucky, we might day two definitely Aaron and Richie. What do you guys think? Uh, I I go with uh, I agree. No day one. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with you on that one. Uh, I think uh, Gowan's going to miss out just a little bit. He'll probably go early day three. But uh, Robinson and Grant, definitely day two. Eric? Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember the round. I'm still getting used to this new format. It's, I mean, it's first, round is, first round is day one, first round only. Yeah. Round two and three on. It's like they took the – remember where it used to be the first two days? Yeah. They took the, the first day and split it into two days. So the first round is primetime day one. Day two is two and three. And then – Round four through seven is day three. Yeah, I, I would say, yeah, granted, Robinson will be day two. One goes maybe late, mid to late second round. Maybe the other one goes third round. I think Grant will be the first guy taken. Maybe Jacksonville, you know, maybe Urban. You know what, I just don't, don't I whatever you – Jacksonville's not, careers go to die. <laughs> please don't send him to Baltimore. For some reason, my entire my – entire, I, I keep thinking – God, Richie Grant is just a tailor-made Baltimore Raven. It could be. You're back. right. That's a good point. No. And I don't no, want him to point. go to Baltimore because no. I can't stand no. the Baltimore maybe, Ravens. Maybe he could be a Stealer, too. You never know. <laughs> you, you uh, Stealer would be interesting. Um, yeah, I don't agree. tell that to Drew, Mr. Brown. Mr. Brown you shut your filthy mouth, Eric. I don't want him as a Stealer. I don't want him as a Rapper. <laughs> a well, rapper. Then should, well, then your team should take him and prevent and avoid that. Yeah, how about you guys draft him? Uh... I would say Gowan round four, five, so I would go with D3. I personally don't think any offensive players will get drafted. If they do, I think it's round seven at best. 
I think I, I agree with Andrew. I think the system knock of this playing in a system, I think will hurt these guys. I think they're all free agents. I think we're going to get Tay on early day three. I think we're going to get, I'm going to go out on the limb and say we're going to get Marlon late day three and Jacob Harris late day three. And then Otis and McCray and Greg McCray go undrafted. I would love to see them drafted, believe me, but I just, it's, 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 it's the NFL draft. Man. And at that point, to be honest with you, it's like, you'd rather go undrafted. Right. Yeah. It, it gives you the flexibility to, to kind you can of pick, pick where you want to go. Right. And, and, um, you know, sometimes it looks like you're picking the right spot and it doesn't always work out. Like, like Navelle Clark the other year where it looked like he had a, a sweet spot and it just didn't work out. Uh, but I, I, I got zero on day one. I've got, uh, both Robinson and Grant on day two. I've got Gallon, Trey Nixon, and, and I'm going to put Jacob Harris in, my, in like the end of the draft, you know, like a day three. Wow, like so both of you are optimistic here. Okay. I, I, I think that I think that those measurables are just going to be way too much for someone to pass up in round seven. It's going to be the the you know we can fix him. We can we can teach him. Well, there are well the Jets are in this draft, so there would be the team the to Jets be dumb enough to do. Don't do that to don't do that to Jacob, please. I mean, come on. I mean, you got to <laughs> catch the football. You got to catch it. So Marlon Williams right, is a better right. football player. Like, this is the problem with the draft. We overthink this stuff sometimes. And not us, but I'm talking about the draft people. The draft Knicks. Yeah. The draft oh, people. Are you, are you talking about, like, people in front offices? or Yeah, like I think they overthink this build stuff. build content for a living. No, no, not the – I think the people that make the draft picks. I think they overthink this stuff sometimes, and they get too cute with – you know, like the Ma- the Orlando Magic's the great example. You don't want to know the Magic right now in the bottom because they keep drafting guys with uh, upside and wingspan, but they're not actual basketball players, and that's why they're not as good. Okay, they're not going to find Giannis in every corner. So I think now, granted, around seven, can you take a flyer in Franks? Why not? Right? Whatever. Um, but again, Eric, I like getting football players. Yes, I'd like to point out that the Orlando Magic beat the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers tonight. Wow, that's not exactly a feather to stick in your cap, there, Drew. That's a, that's, that's, isn't that good news? Isn't that good news for the Cavs? Isn't that good news for the Cavs? Yeah, they kind of did the Cavs a favor, didn't they? The the Cavs were bad, and uh, if I'm correct, they were missing Colin Sexton anyway. Yeah, wink, wink, okay. wink, wink. It's called trying to get draft lottery balls ready to go, man. But no, we'll yeah, see. Colin- we'll see. Look, it's nothing against Franks. I just. I think Marlon's the better player, but I kind of agree with you guys. I think he's going to get knocked for a lot of different things. And there's so many good receivers in this draft that I think at some point it's going to get cut off. And I don't think those guys get drafted. I think, uh, and we've agreed, and I agree with you guys what you've said about the running backs, but we'll see. You, may, you might All be right. right. All right. Well, we're going to leave it right there. The NFL draft begins on Thursday, Woo! April 29th. Uh, they're ha- they're holding it in your in your hometown. Is that right? Yeah, Church? Cleveland. It is. Isn't that uh, why I've you're? Got... That's why you're in the undisclosed look. You're really in Cleveland, aren't you? You're in Cleveland right now. Well, uh, truth be told, I will be in Cleveland in a couple months, but that's neither here nor there. Draft will be uh, over I have by then. A, a, a friend who runs a media um, business, and he's actually helping do stuff for the draft from uh, a, a media presentation standpoint. He was actually he actually was the DJ for my wedding, and uh, hey. I've got friends who are going to be at the draft. I've got relatives who are season ticket holders, so I mean, they're all they're all do vested. You, do you like know the guy who's going to hand the card to the commissioner and all that kind of stuff? That I don't know. I, I haven't really pressed all that hard on it. 
Okay. I just thought, okay, hey, that's really cool. You're working on the draft. Uh, simulcast NFL Network, ABC, ESPN, and ESPN Deportes. <clears throat> Thursday, April 29th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Prime time is the first round. Rounds two and three on Friday at 7, and then Saturday, May 1st at noon is the rest of it. Rounds four through seven. Andrew Glukov, Statboy Drew on Twitter. Thank you so much for enlightening us. On the NFL draft, uh, we are putting nothing at stake on our on our picks, but uh, you know this is our this is this is one of our big weekends. So, uh, so I know you'll be watching. I know we'll be watching. It should be a lot of fun. Enjoy it, Drew. I will. Thank you, guys. All right, stick around. We come back. Lots more to talk about. Eric and I will riff a little bit on tennis and golf. The Country Club Sports at UCF are doing things, and then we'll also talk a little bit later about baseball and softball and uh, a record in UCF track. Stick around. I'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff and Eric with you here. Uh, let's talk. A, let, let's head to the Country Club, Eric. That's the place we belong. <laughs> that's yes, exactly. But I'll tell you, you know who you know UCF belongs near the top of your tennis and golf rankings. And boy, did we have a weekend for uh, UCF tennis. First of all, men's tennis on uh, Saturday uh, or Sunday, rather. Uh, they are no, I'm sorry, that was no, right. Saturday. Right. I got it right. Saturday, yeah. women, what am Sunday. I saying? Saturday, the men at home sweep USF to win their first ever American Athletic Conference tournament championship. They had struggled for so long under John Roddick uh, to just get over that hump, right? Just like men's soccer, right? Uh, they had come up short in three of the last four years in the championship. Uh, but they finally break through to win their first conference crown since 2005. They do it in dominating fashion. Uh, they get the sweep. Uh, they picked up the doubles point. Trey Hildebrand actually finished it off. Um, while Gabe DeCamps, who was originally initially struggled, actually lost his doubles match and then kind of came back and was winning his singles match when the, when the dual match officially ended. Um, yeah, this was this was big, and they moved up to number eleven in the ITA. Uh, you know, number nine was, in the Oracle one now. Number, number nine. nine in the Oracle, right? That's that. That's they, they right now. They are like we said from earlier this year, bona fide national contender. And what a great moment for John Roddick in particular, who's real, who's you know rebuilt this program into a national contender, and really in a short amount of time. It takes a while to. You know, we talk about like microwave dynasties and stuff all the time. Like football, I think you know you can you can move along pretty quickly, right? Tennis and golf and those sports on the Olympic side, they take a while to develop into a real power, and he has done it quickly here in four seasons. And they're going to be one of the teams to watch out for in the NCAA's. Oh, there's no doubt they're a national title contender. 
it helps that they don't have to get on a bus or travel with hmm. pretty much the entire postseason will be in their backyard. I tweeted this out on Saturday when they won the championship, and I will say it here on the podcast. When we look back at the Danny White era, the mainstream media obviously will focus on the hires of Scott Frost being maybe the best hire or maybe Abe or et cetera. And I, I get all that. But if you really go pound for pound, the best hire Danny White made in his era was John Roddick because John Roddick basically helped fix two programs. He was named the director of tennis, which is not a position you give, you know, that's not, that was a created position. That's how they got him out of Oklahoma. Uh, First of all, the fact he even got him to leave Oklahoma was incredible. I remember when that came out, the tennis college tennis world was shocked. So to bring him here and nothing against the tennis program from before, but let's be honest, the tennis program has been at the bottom. Like I think if criminally to, underinvested, right? Like if we rank the, the the programs, tennis was at the bottom, and to be in now, this will be what three NCAA tournaments, a conference championship. He hires Brian Konyeko, who has helped turn around the women's tennis program. You've got two top conference national title contenders. This is all under John Roddick's watch. We had John Roddick on earlier this year. I recommend you if you go back to our archives and, and listen to that. And, and just the vision he's had for these tennis programs has been remarkable. It's been a remarkable story, an underreported story, how this tennis program has gone from where it was to where it is today. It's really, to me, it's the story of the year right now in UCF athletics. Uh, other, you know, as far as on the field, obviously the, fo- the coaching changes in football will be the top stories we look back. But I'm talking just from a, an incredible story in college athletics. What this tennis program has formed is incredible. The they finished the season, or they fin- or they haven't finished the season. They're, they're still playing. They're twenty one and three. They've won thirteen in a row. Thirteen in a row. Their last loss was to Georgia, who is number seventeen in the country uh, at the time. Uh, they lost four to two. They lost, you know, at the wire to Texas A and M at home. They lost five to two to Florida in the in the season opener, and I think if those two teams played to get played again today, it would be a much different situation. But uh, you know, right now looking at the at the Division One men's uh, team rankings, and this is up to the second it the Oracle ITA. Um, oh yeah, you're right. They're not eleventh. They're ninth, um, and behind Texas A and M, who they lost to, behind Florida, uh, Texas A and M's at eight. Uh, Florida's at two. So, and Florida's at 20 and two overall. Number one is Baylor at 28 and four. But um, yeah, this is a team that I think is very dangerous in this field uh, and could really pose a problem for somebody, especially when you consider the fact that, like you said, Eric, they're going to be playing a lot of this tournament at home. I think the first two rounds are at predetermined sites, but they haven't announced that yet, right? No, I agree with you. Uh, I have, they have not announced it yet, but I would assume they're in good position to host that as well. Yeah. So we're going to have to wait until we see select. What is the selection show? It's Monday, Monday, May Monday, okay. 3rd, 630 on NCAA.com. The same day as the women, the women will be at six Eastern. The men will be at 630. So that's when we'll know the, the brackets. All right. Uh, and just to update you on some of the individual rankings, uh, Gabe DeCamps right now is in 10th in the singles rankings. Uh, Liam Draxel of Kentucky is number one. Uh, and then in the doubles uh, rankings, Trey Hildebrand and Bogdan Pavel are top 10. Now they're at number nine. 
with a nine and one record. Uh, and uh, let's see, I think there was one more. Yeah, Gabe DeCamps and Trey Hildebrand, eight and four together, 37th. So that gives you an idea of where um, of where UCF's individual players are in the double. Because that, you know, that's important for after the team championships is the singles and doubles championships, too. Right. Really and the important. individuals will get announced as well on that yeah. selection show. You're right. And watch out for one Pablo Grassi Mizuki, too, who was the most outstanding player of the tournament. He's 87th right now in the country. I wonder if he's going to get a bid in singles. I don't know how many how many they let in, but um, yeah, I think he might be on the outside looking in just barely. But uh, on the other side, okay, we talked about the men on Saturday. On Sunday, the women got their chance, and it was a little bit more of a battle, I think, than, uh, than most were anticipating. But then again, it was against Tulsa, so of course it's going to be a battle. But they got it done, uh, four to one. Uh, they win three matches in three days against South Florida, Houston, and Tulsa uh, in order to win the American. It's the second consecutive American Athletic Conference Tournament Championship. Of course, remember last year it was post it was canceled. Um, but uh, they finished the uh, or they are through the conference tournament at eighteen and four, having won six in a row. Uh, and they, I, I think that they're where, where the men are kind of really coming on as uh, and making a lot of noise. I feel like the women's team is really flying under the radar right now, and they're going to be a tough out. Oh, there's no doubt. And well, they have the veterans that were part of the Sweet 16 team in 2019, so they've been through this before. I think they know what's ahead of them is the big picture there. But they're, yeah, they're not I mean, going to be starstruck by anything. Yeah, I'm not saying that they were before. I mean, they made a they made a Sweet 16 run. They were out in Pe lost out in Pepperdine, which is a tough place to play right. anyway. Right. But uh, you know, yeah, I I feel like there's there there is a little bit of a stick in their craw. I think from that, don't you think? I think so. I think they have that experience. That's why I think they're you know they're it'll be interesting to see where they get seated when the brackets come out and how the field looks. But you know, they're ranked number eight right now in the latest poll. So. Uh, they're veteran. They're deep. You know, that match in the championship was weird because they had to take it indoors because of the weather. So right. The championship was des described on indoors. So unfortunately, the, the unfortunate thing about that is you didn't get to see the women's play on ESPN+. Plus. They got put back to, uh, I believe, the USTA uh, stream, which is great. But right. they took care of business indoors. You know, that's an adjustment period to go from, you know, you're planning going outdoors. I'm sure there was an adjustment period there, but they overcame it. They're deep. They're talented. They can make deep runs. There's no, re you know, the expectations for both programs is to try to get to that NCAA championship in the last week or two in their backyard where they don't lose. Mm -hmm. They're uh, eight. Once again, they're eighteen and four, eighth in the country, just ahead, just behind NC State and ahead of Baylor. Seven teams in front of them from seven to one: NC State, Florida State, UCLA, Pepperdine, who they lost in the NCAA tournament two years ago. Georgia, Texas, North Carolina. North Carolina is undefeated at 26-0. But I would put UCF up against any of those teams. I think they, would, they they can they can run with them. They can run with any one of them. I think there's no especially doubt about at, that Especially right in their backyard. That, yeah. they've, they've built a home court advantage. And I think they'll get a lot of support. I think people are starting to catch on to this uh, because this is legit here. These are two teams that could win the national championship or at least make a deep run into it. And that's uh, it's pretty remarkable story again. What John Roddick and Brian have built, uh, it's insane that that we're saying that, but that's where we're at. Uh, Valeria Zaleva, uh, who was a key, who is obviously key for UCF, their top singles player in the ITA rankings, seventeenth in the nation in singles. Uh, UCF also has Rebecca Stolmar at uh, number thirty-seven 
in the singles rankings as well. So we may very well see both of them in the uh, singles tournament when we get around to it uh, in the NCAAs. Um, all right. Let's talk a little bit about golf. Uh, UCF women's golf, or, or let's start with men's golf, actually. I want to start with them because uh, they finished uh, in fourth place in the American tournament, and that's pretty much the end of their season. Am I right, Eric? Because uh, no, no, I mean, I mean not necessarily. Okay. So tied for next, fifth, I should say. Next week, they will be in the, the selection show for the men. will come out next Wednesday. That is next week. Okay. The men's ranking is 68. I mean, you talk about a bubble, that's the bubble. I mean, it's a 72-team field in golf. So uh, that could go either way. Who's, where are the, re you know, I do think geography plays a role in that to some extent. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't like, I wouldn't well, like. Well, if that's the I case, then I think they should be in good shape. We're in Florida after all. Yeah, but I wouldn't make plans. I wouldn't make plans for the tournament. It's really going to be tight. And I don't know if they'll make it or not at 68. I, if they were in the... I wish they were in the 50s. If they would have, I think if they would have had a better showing in the American, uh, you know, that might have yeah. helped them in. I think, I think they're going to fall short, but I'm not going to close the book either. So I, I think we should leave it open and hope for the best next week for them. Uh, but certainly a fifth place, this you know, being in their backyard, I think they probably thought they could do better than that. But the league is strong. The league is strong, and so uh, we'll see what happens. Now, countering that, the women's team, uh, they found out today that they are in the NCAA Regionals. They will be heading to Louisville. Uh, they're the number nine seed in the Louisville Regional. Uh, this is, uh, and, they, and they did receive that at-large bid to the uh, NCAA Regionals, despite the fact that they finished uh, fourth in the American Championship, which uh, uh, head coach Emily Marin had said uh, after the match that she was kind of disappointed in in how yeah. they played that tournament. They they were first after the first round. Um, Emily said, uh, this is the quote from her, according to UCF, quote, we are a little disappointed in our finish today. It takes all five players stepping up, and we just didn't get that. I'm proud of Pat Pitten for her best fit finish of the spring. We're excited for an opportunity to compete the NCAA Regionals in a few weeks. But they, were, they still kind of had to sweat it out a little bit, but they yeah, do. Go I mean, to... they did and they didn't. I mean, they're they're kind of their RPI. Their number was like in the 32, 33 range. Thirty three, right? Yeah, so they were going to get it. I think she was disappointed because they were they had a chance to make a. They didn't make a run. She was hoping they could make a run at the leaderboard at that last day, and they didn't do it. And I think she was disappointed by that. But as a result, they're a nine seed in the Louisville regional. It's a very stacked regional. South Carolina. Uh, if you you know, if you read some of the golf people that follow this, they're a national title contender. Auburn is very good as well. Uh, and Florida State speaks for itself. Texas. So it's a very loaded deal. But you know, as Coach Marin has told me in the past, and I'm sure has told you, I mean, you're not playing these schools. You're playing the golf course. Right. So it's about the golf course there at the Simpsonville, Kentucky. She's familiar there. So we'll see how they go. Big thing too. This is the seventh time in the Emily Marin era they've gotten to the NCAA tournament. Remember, last year they probably would have been a tournament team, but COVID obviously shut that down. And then the two years she didn't make it with the team, she got individuals into the NCAA tournament. So, mm -hmm. you know, she's now at seven teams. She's taken seven teams to the tournament. That ties in 10 for the years. third most. Right. Third most in UCF history right now. She's among, among you know, if you count bowl games, Georgia Leary, for example, went to seven bowl games with UCF uh Bryce Wall uh, coach Waller at men's golf seven times Renee Gillespie UCF softball seven times to the tournament she's top three now she's tied with those group for third most in the history of UCF coaches 
Jay Bergman is number two. I think he made it eight or nine times with baseball. Then Amanda Cromwell, 11 times to the NCAA tournament is the best for any UCF coach uh, in history. But Emily Marin, man, under you talk about under the radar. Under the radar coach here, the consistency that she's built here at UCF Women's Golf. Solid as a rock. Solid as a rock. Can't ask anything more of that of that group. And uh, I tell you, it's there. And I mean, what can you say? You can't argue with those results either. I mean, seven out of 10 years, that's hard to do. I mean, especially in a sport like golf where it is, it, it's a, it's a crapshoot every single time. I mean, you don't know how you're going to come out from day in to day out. Uh, nothing is a sure thing, but they, again, are going back to the NCAA tournament. So, and they should be uh, a pretty solid contender up in Louisville. The, the highest compliment is now it's to the point she's built it where you're surprised if they don't make the tournament. Right. That right. wasn't always the case. That's not, it was, that was never always the case prior. Um, right. That people kind of assume they just make it every year. That's not true. So um, she's on track to be maybe the greatest women's golf coach in the history of the program. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. So uh, congrats to uh, UCF Women's Golf. And a couple other things that we wanted to pass along. Congratulations to uh, Anna Laura Collado and, uh, and, and Pat Pitten, who were both named to the, uh, the all-conference team. Uh, for the American too, and they will be key to UCF if they want to make it to the NCAA uh, championship, which would be, you know, I think it's the top. Is it the top four make it? I think Eric. I don't remember how the numbers work. I forget on exactly that. how yeah. it was. I, I think it's the know. top four in each region. Might be, but uh, let's just, yeah. Uh, yeah, the easiest, yeah, finish very high, and the top four you probably get it. Yeah, that's right. probably easy. But all right, so. And uh, we're hoping to have Emily, uh, hoping to hear from Emily. Yeah, in the next week. Soon. In the right. next week, we hope to get her on before she's they such a great interview. Over. I love talking to Emily Marin. She's so Fantastic. good. Fantastic. By the way, also, A-plus Twitter follow. For, Amen for, to that. I agree. Uh, in, in the UCF community. A-plus Twitter follow. She is the well, best. You know she'll be doing two things this weekend. She will be obviously preparing her team for the tournament and watching a UCF alum in the PGA Tour, isn't she, Jeffrey? That's right, and, uh, and this is a good story. That this is such a cool story that came out, um, and it went viral on P- on the PGA because of a video that they showed. All right, so every uh, golf tournament, every PGA golf tournament, they have a Monday qualifier where you know uh, local guys can actually try and qualify for the tournament. And uh, this week, the tournament is uh, this week's tournament is the Valspar Championship, which being which is being held in the Tampa area, and. You probably seen the video already, but it's but Michael Visaki, um, uh, won the qualifier and will participate in the uh, tournament. His first ever PGA Tour uh, uh, appearance. Now, Michael Visaki played at UCF for one season in 2012-2013 for Bryce Waller. Was pretty good um, yeah, as a freshman. Probably had a shot to be you know to to improve as a uh, as a college student, but decided after one year to, to just turn pro. So he played on a minor tour. He's been on a minor tour for uh, for the better part of this decade, 164 starts on the West Florida uh, tour. Um, and, you know, over the, over the, he's won 37 events on the West Florida tour. And these are events that are like one or two day events. And he's won some about one hundred and forty thousand dollars, but over the course of like ten years, that's not a lot of money. And you and and I actually linked to his profile in the story, and you see the money he's won. It's like a thousand dollars a year, 
$250 there. You know, I mean, almost like sometimes he's like covering his green fees, right? Well, he wins the uh, he, he wins the two, uh, the uh, qualifier on Monday, and he calls his dad. And there's a camera right in front of him, and uh, and you can hear him um, talking to uh, you know, talking to his dad, and he's in tears, fighting back tears, um, talking to his uh, talking talking to his father, telling him, "Dad, I made it." And uh, I mean, wow, what a what a moment it is for him. After, I mean, that's that's a real golf life story, right? Um, playing in all these tournaments and keep fighting to, you know, fighting to get the dream to to achieve the dream, and he finally did it. He finally, finally did it after all of those tournaments. You know, these these little tournaments up and down Florida. He's gonna get the chance to play in a PGA event. And a shout out to our boy uh, uh, Anthony Lenahan who gave us an update. Uh, on and kind of filled us in on everything. So the story is, uh, he, he, obviously he doesn't get his tour card. Uh, he's only qualified for this week uh, for that event. If he gets a top, if he finishes in the top 10, he gets to go to uh, the next tournament. If he wins the tournament, then he gets his tour card and an exemption to next year's Valspar. Okay, so that is that. That alone is a uh, you, you know. I mean, that's that's something to play for. But I don't think he's even thinking about that. I think he's just he's just happy that he got in. And um, wow, I mean, just what a moment for Michael Vlasacki, and and he's kind of become the uh, the local fan favorite this week as well, getting ready for the Valspar uh, Championship, uh, which will be uh, Thursday through which will be uh, Thursday through Saturday. So uh, we'll be keeping an eye on that, and I know he's—I gonna, know he's going to be the guy who UCF fans are going to be keeping a close eye on too, Eric. Right? No question about that. Uh, by the way, that team he was in in 2013—that's a pretty legendary team that UCF. Yeah, they went here. to the NCAA's, and he actually played in the NCAA's. Yes, finished a team finished tied for 16th in the NCAA championships. They finished in the top 26 in the rankings by Golfstat. They won three tournaments that year. They finished third in the Conference USA Championship. They finished runner-up in the NCAA Temple, uh, Tempe Regional to advance to the NCAA Regionals. Uh, that's one of Waller's best teams, and you could argue maybe his best team uh, since that's the, you know, it's right there, right in the mix yeah. there. But you look and at he was, that, a, he was a freshman and made the rotation right. late in the and season. That's, that's, that's not easy to do. Well, especially the roster he had. He had Greg Eason, who is, is one of the more decorated UCF players. I think it was his Conference USA Player of the Year in his career mm -hmm. and all in that. And then a kid by the name of Ricardo Gavea, who is playing playing professionally in Europe. And I actually ranked him in my top 10 as far as UCF athletes of all time because he's participated in the Olympics. He's had a, you know, in the pro careers, he's been playing in the European League. So as of now, as of this weekend, you, that team now could say they've had two guys that have gone on to play professionally in the tour. Yeah, Europe or the, in the United States. So that's a stacked team. And that's kind of why he kind of got lost in the shuffle. He was a youngster compared to those guys. Right, right. Uh, Greg Eason has had his, has uh, shown up a couple times over in Europe. He's actually from England. That's right. Um, and uh, he's won, he's had a top 10. He had a second place or five top 10, uh, five top 10 finishes in his, uh, in his career. Uh, one top ten finish in his most recent season, twenty nineteen. So, 
Yeah, Easton, by the way, I, I, I gave him, I shortened him on credit. He was an American Conference Player of the Year and a CUSA Player of the Year. You could argue just from a college career only. From a college career only, you could argue that Greg Easton maybe is the best UCF golfer they've had from a college career. Uh, right. now, now, I mean, I'm saying that because they've had some tremendous pros that have gone on. One guy that you covered back in your Georgia days, and Robert Damron, maybe he's yeah. probably maybe he's the one. And Greg, he would probably be regarded as the greatest UCF golfer across the board. Him and Cliff Kresge, who have both played in the PGA. So, but this and, is an and awesome. Robert's story. going to be covering this story, I think, too, for on his gig for the uh, Golf Channel. Is he not? I think I, he might be right because you're right. He does some work for the Golf Channel. That would if I was if I was working at the Golf Channel, that's exactly who I would assign it to. That'd be yeah. perfect. That's right, a good point. So. That'd be fun. How about we'd love to see Robert Dameron do it, do an interview and mention UCF with, uh, with. Uh, we gotta Mike get Robert. Sackett. We're gonna get Robert. We're gonna get Robert. I want to get him on there because I want, I want to, I want to take him back to his second professional win at the, uh, in it, Athens at the were you uh, there? Athens. Yeah, I was there. I covered it. It was the Athens Regional uh, Memorial Classic uh, in the Athens Regional Foundation Classic. He won it in a playoff over a guy named Greg Owen, who is uh, from England and. I was there, one with a birdie on the on the last hole, on the first extra hole. I was there. I interviewed him. It was great. It was I was I was like, dude, UCF. He's like, I think kind of like passed around. He's like, you're a UCF guy, yeah. But we'll have to, yeah, we'll have to get Robert. I would love to talk to him about that and his career and how he how he, his approach uh, to you know being an analyst now on TV because you know if uh, and and his time at UCF, he was a he was a he was an excellent golfer at UCF and can, and was an excellent golfer by every right. Uh, in his uh, in his time as a pro, and now he's on TV, so that'll be fun. All right, took a break. When we come back, we got baseball, we got softball, we got track, we got a few more things to talk about here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Don't go away. We're we'll right back. We're back on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff and Eric with you here, uh, talking about UCF uh, softball and baseball. And I want to start with baseball here. Eric Lopez, uh, because they did something that I didn't think, and I, I didn't think even Murph thought was possible. They got a split. Obviously, he didn't think uh, so. He left. He split. He didn't even want yeah, to wait for the he team. He just bailed took on. off, bailed on Black and Gold Banneret before he had the chance to do it. Mr. MLB.com uh, guy. He leaves, and what happens? UCF takes two out of four from the number nine team in the country and the number one team in the American. Uh, the ECU Pirates, and probably could have taken three out of four. Uh, they get the series split with the win on uh, Sunday, uh, and they split, or, or with a, or rather with a, uh, sorry, let me go back and talk about it. So, ECU won the first game 4-2 to two on Friday. It was a doubleheader. UCF won the second game, though, 10-5, to five, put a 10 spot on the board. Uh, Saturday, Pirates win 11-8. to eight. That was the game where UCF had a couple shots to win it. Uh, but uh, the Knights won game four, six to one. And on top of that, this is despite the fact that Colton Gordon did not pitch yeah. for UCF this weekend for what we don't know the reason why. I mean, it could be an injury. Love Lady could have decided to rest him. We don't know. But two out of four ain't bad in this case, especially against a team as, as strong as ECU is. Uh, we talked about the power that they that they presented the plate. Really good pitching, but UCF stood toe to toe with them throughout this entire week, didn't they? Yeah, it was a really well played series. Uh, they got they earned that split. Jack St. Clair was the story on in the last game of the series. He was tremendous, allowing just one run, striking what a, what out. What a great seven. start for that kid, huh? His Boy, best he start. That. 
yeah. his best start. And look, they got a split. How significant was that split? Their RPI going into that series was 137. It jumped all the way to 88. They have not been under 100 the whole season from an RPI right. standpoint. So it, it, it gave them a life pulse, honestly, for the season. Now they can say they have two wins over East Carolina and two wins against Ole Miss. Those are top 15 teams. You know, can they, if they can get on a run now, you know, they won three out of four against South Florida the weekend before. You get a split against ECU. If you can play your best. Now, we don't know what Colton Gordon's status is. We don't know what the situation is there. We'll hopefully find out. We'll definitely find out this weekend when they play Memphis. But if this team can go on a run, they got 16 conference games left. All right. They got four with Memphis this weekend. They've got uh, four at Tulane, which is looming big Tulane mm-hmm. is the second best RPI team right now probably uh, D1 baseball has them as the second team as far as the tournament because I do think the American will get at least a second team in if not more it's been a down year but if you look at the geography of college baseball a lot of south schools in particular SEC and ACC schools are going to host you kind of need teams from the American to get into the tournament so I think the committee will look for that and I think UCF has a shot if they can go finish strong now they're hosting Memphis Host Wichita State at Tulane. Host Houston. If I if they can go twelve and four, let's say twelve and four, that would put them uh, at thirty one and twenty five. I think that gets them right in the mix into the bubble going into the conference tournament, which also, is pretty you know remarkable considering the hole they've dug themselves into. That also would put them at in conference. They would be you said twelve and four. They would be twenty one and eleven in the conference, which is the fifth strongest conference this year in college baseball. Yeah. I think that would certainly make a statement there, um, and they would get them back in the mix. And, and the thing about the Love Lady teams here, they usually finish the season strong. So you hope that this is the turning point here that they can start playing their best baseball. And I think they need to pound Memphis this weekend. They need to win at least three out of four there. And, and I think the season still has a shot here to be salvaged. And look, I understand a lot of people have already turned, you know, they're upset about the season. It's kind of funny how, you know, baseball people turn their backs on them. Here's my question to you, Jeff. Why are our expectations for this baseball program out of whack? And here's why I say that. I feel like we have this expectation that the baseball program should be a top 25 team every year. And yet, since 2004, which was the last when they made the regional final in Tallahassee when they were mm-hmm. a member of the A Sun. That was their team. last year. That was the last year in the A Sun. 05 was their last year. They didn't make the tournament. 05, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. 04 was the last year they made the tournament as an A Sun member. They were a win away. They lost they ran into Steven Drew in Florida State. Since 05, this program has only made the tournament three times. Won one conference title, which was in 17. That was a love lady coach team. Are we, I mean, why, why don't we, I feel like we kind of keep pushing this narrative that we should be this power in baseball, but the the stats and the history suggest that we're really not like even, even in the Jay Bergman era, as great as that era was, it wasn't like UCF made the tournament every year. He only made the tournament, I think nine times out of like 20 years or forever. So I feel like people have this standard, like they think baseball should be like football and it's not. You look at South Florida, they have not had success in the postseason as far as the NCAA making the NCAA tournament consistently either. Um, I would argue that Miami hasn't been Miami in de- in a decade or so. Uh, in fact, one of the latest projections doesn't even have a team from the state of Florida hosting a regional right now. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be better. I'm not saying that they, you know, 
there, there's not reason to be disappointed. I think Coach Lovelady and the staff would be disappointed where they're at right now. But I also feel it's gotten carried away, in my opinion. Well, I, I think what, what you're talking about is the difference in competition between the Atlantic Sun era and the Conference USA slash American era. And I think in baseball, you can put the two together because there are obviously a number of teams that traveled with UCF to, to the American from Conference USA who are competitive in the American in baseball now. Tulane, ECU, obviously among them. Um, it, it, in the A-Sun, this is the part that's easy for everyone to forget. In the A-Sun, there were basically two schools that can compete with UCF on a yearly basis in the A-Sun. Florida Atlantic and Stetson. That's it. All right? Georgia, you, once in a while, you'll have a run from a team like Georgia State or whatever, but or Mercer or something. But it that was pretty much it. It, it was a, it was a bit of a surprise when UCF would lose one of the three games against against one of those teams that weren't FAU or Stetson. All right, those were the big series every year. And in the years where it didn't work out for UCF, it was one of those two teams that actually that actually got it done. The talent in the American right now is much better. And you've said this many times before, where the American does rank near as one of the top conferences in mm-hmm. the in the United States in baseball year in and year out, and still does even despite the fact it's down by their standards. Yeah. It's down by their standards. And I think that I, I think that part of that has to do with this is the first year that UConn's not in the not in the league, and UConn yeah. is traditionally very good oh, in baseball. Yeah. Coach Penders, yeah, that hurt. That hurt a little bit. Right. That, that, that's like Losing UConn, that hurt. I think that hurt baseball well, oh, more yeah. than basketball. I Absolutely, think. I agree. That's a hot take. I get that, but I do agree. Jim Penders and UConn that hurt the baseball more because that was an extra team right. in the fielders. Yeah, you know, and they were and they were consistent. Like UConn yeah, basketball yeah, yeah. since Jim Calhoun retired has been on a steady decline. I think that's that that's pretty clear. But UConn baseball. They were a favorite to win the American every single year. They were all, and they were a tournament team. You could count on them to be yeah. basically a tournament team, correct? So they were as sure a thing as you would get in the American. So um, you know, this year you got Tulane at ten and one right now in the league. They're in first place. ECU at ten and two, and all this, and all of a sudden, right when everyone was ready to throw in the towel, look who's lurking in third place: UCF right. at nine and seven. Yep. So. Uh, if they, like, like you said, if they can put this together down the stretch, if they if they can get three out of four, if they can win three out of every four, I'm not saying that they have to win three of four, but if they can win, you know, three out of every four and get well, that's that kind of what I did twelve four and mark, four. That's what yeah. I did twelve and four. No, no, yeah. To to reemphasize what you're saying, twelve and four down the stretch, and then if you get a good showing in the tournament, you know, maybe you get to the championship game. Who knows? You know, this is a this is right. one of those years again. This so this can get opt- real interesting. Right. Baseball's a long year. I just don't get the ne- you know I get the negativity, I get the frustration, but I'm I'm looking at it right now. Jake Bergman, they made the tournament nine times in the 25 years he was there. It wasn't like we were there 22 out of 25. Right. I just and look, although nothing, nine out of 25 ain't bad to be honest. No, no, I'm not saying it isn't. I'm just saying like people. I think I think there's a lot of people that think that baseball may should be the tournament every year, and I got to tell you. College baseball, of all the sports, probably has the most parity across the country. The the difference between number one and number 50 in college baseball is not much. Not much at all. And I just don't – look, I I just don't get the negativity. Like, 
I don't. Greg Lovelady can coach. He got Wright State to regional final. He's won a conference championship here. They've been one of the last four teams out the last couple times. I think they would have been a tournament team last year. I think baseball got hurt the most of all the casualties of the COVID sports uh, getting canceled last year. I think baseball got hurt the most because I thought that team was his best team he's had. And I think mm-hmm. they would have been a title contender and they would have made a tournament and it's always going to be a what if there. And I get that. Look, this year, a lot of things haven't gone well. Injuries, uh, it, you know, things like that have hurt this team. But I, I don't, you know, I'm not waving. I'm not waving the white flag on this team. I think this team has still got an opportunity, but they got to win. They got to win games. I'll, you know, they got, and I think they got to get to that 31-32 win mark. And I think if they do that, which would in, would include a, a series win over Tulane on the road, they could be that mix to be that second or third team yeah. from the American and maybe sneak into the tournament, it, you know, assuming they pick up a couple other wins in the conference tournament. So let's see what happens. Let's see what – that's all I'm saying. Let's see what happens. Stop being so, you know, being snarky with your comments every time I'm trying to be positive on the baseball front. I, I have a feeling this rant is for an audience of one. Well, just like, look. They split with ECU. I didn't expect that. Did you? I mean, they played well. I mean, that's it. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. And look, if they lose to Memphis, then yeah, that's disappointing. But I also think we got to – look, I've been to John Juliano Park. The renovations have been good. I've also been to Dick Hauser Stadium. I've been to Mark Light. Those are the two great baseball stadiums. Like, it, it, I think there's a lot – this baseball job yeah, – It's the baseball, Yankee Stadium in Fenway Park of college baseball. Right. I just think there's a lot more – there's a lot more hurdles that I think people realize when it comes to UCF baseball. And I know that sounds like I'm making excuses and I'm not. And I think Greg Lovely to be the first to tell you they're disappointed where they're at right now, but I also don't think their season's over. And I don't think the program is like, is in this like massive trouble that some suggest. Yeah. A far from, season is far from over right now. And I always go back to, you talk about parody in college baseball. I always talk about it before I watched, I, I watched, the team that I thought was by far and away the best in the country, Georgia, get beat. In Gordon Beckham best, and company. Yeah. Gordon Beckham, and they got beat by Fresno State. Right, a barely, four seed in a region. Who barely snuck into the right. tournament that year. And yeah. then and then if you want if you and if you're like, yeah, well, Jeff, that was eleven years ago, guess what? Coastal Carolina twenty sixteen won the College World Series. And they beat mighty Arizona. So yeah. Just you never know. There's there is so much parity in the sport, and that's what makes it that's what makes it difficult. It's you. Can't, it's hard to make the. It's hard to be. Con- it's hard. Difficult. It's hard to be consistent at that. Yes. Consistent yes. Year in year. And by well, the way, it's only going to get harder with the rules now with the transfer portal and with the minor leagues changing now, right? Yeah, so I agree. I agree. You're going to have a distribution of better players throughout the country, so it's going to be harder to be consistent. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I just, like I said, look, a lot of things haven't gone well for this team. I mean, we don't know what happened with Colton Gordon right now. We don't, we hopefully he'll be back this weekend. We don't know. Uh, remember, they've lost guys due to injury. Some guys have struggled. Baseball's such a fickle sport, right? I mean, yeah. not, not to like, I mean, I would do this normally in honor of Murph. Gary Sanchez is a great example. Like two, three years ago, right? You as a Yankee fan, you're thinking this guy could be a Hall of Fame catcher, tremendous power, all-star. Now the guy's barely hitting 180 and he's splitting time with catching. And he made, you know. I really didn't need you to remind me of this, but anyway. No, I, I understand. But I figured out, I, I, I have to, I always did it to Murr, so I, I have to live on the tradition. But the point is, baseball's such a fickle sport, man. You could be good one day, bad day. It's such a weird sport, random sport. All right. Well, uh, Speaking of weird random sports, how about UCF softball, Eric Lopez? <laughs> yeah. Uh, swept the Tigers back on track, right? After some after some 
fits and starts in conference play. They kind of like didn't get going, right? But how about the weekend that Gianna Mancha threw? Uh, Friday, second game of the series against Memphis, she throws a no-hitter. <laughs> 13 strikeouts and an 8-0 win. And then on Sunday, she almost pulls a Johnny Vandermeer. Yeah. She takes a no-hitter into the seventh before it got broken up with a home run. She almost she threw. What what, what did it come out to, Eric? 13 or 12 and one yeah, third innings? 13 innings. Oh, 13. yeah. I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Yeah. yeah it was, um, yeah, it would have been 12 innings plus, basically, of no 12 hits. 12 plus innings of no hit ball. Because mm-hmm. they had a Amazing. Them the first day. Yep, yep. Right. No, 18th no hitter in program history. She was dominant. I mean, they dominated Memphis. They needed to dominate Memphis. Memphis was the worst team in the league. It was a good team to play to get your offense back healthy a little bit, get some confidence back. And their pitching was dominant, and they needed to do what they needed to do, which was sweep Memphis, you know, get to 34 wins. Uh, which, by the way, with their next win, that matches their 2019 season. With their next win, whenever that happens, that'll be the most wins they've had since 2016. So, uh, you know, that was positive. It was a good bounce back after a tough Wichita State series. But this team's fine. Look, they're 31 in the RPI. They're going to make the tournament. It's a matter of now finishing strong and, and seeing what happens. Now, the conference situation's kind of a long shot. But that's okay. What you want to do now is kind of get ready, finish strong here. You got Ole Miss, who's really good, mm-hmm. then South Florida. And then you got the conference tournament in Tulsa. You want to feel, finish strong here, try to win the conference tournament. You need a lot of help to win the regular season. I wouldn't bank on that. But it's a strong team. And, uh, boy, Shannon Doherty's tremendous. Jada Cody. By the way, UCF, 52 home runs as a team, breaking the record held by the 2005 team, which you were you were witness to in person, for most home runs in a single season. This team's already done that in 46 games. I think the 05 team it did it in 77 games, to give you an idea. UCF is one of – there are seven teams that play softball in the American. They are one of four who are above 500. Houston, ECU, and Memphis are the ones bringing up the rear. But there's this really big logjam up at the top, Eric, with Tulsa and USF tied at the top at 12-3 and in the conference. Wichita State at 15-4-1, UCF at 13-6-1. This is going to be a a real ringer down the road for for softball right now. By the way, credit to the league. Uh, You know, the league is, again, number five. It sounds like a broken record. They're the fifth strongest conference in college softball this year. That's even with Houston struggling. Imagine if Houston was up to the par where they normally would be. This would probably be a top four league. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Wichita State's very good. They just knocked off Oklahoma State this uh, the other night. Again, who's ranked in the top 10, Oklahoma State. Uh, South Florida, they have the best pitcher in the country, in the in the league, I should say, Georgina Corrick. They're making their move. Tulsa's very good. Dallas is a nice pitcher. Uh, I think this league is a three-bid league, could be a four-bid league. By the, by the time this, this the, the selection Sunday arrives on May 16th, it's a strong league. It's not like UCF's losing to bad teams is kind of my point. I know that people were disappointed, and rightfully so, losing the Wichita and Tulsa series, but it's not like they're losing to bad teams, and I think I have to remind people of that. Uh, this old Miss series that's mm. coming up. What do we yeah. know about what do we know about the Rebs right now? Probably one of the surprises of the year. Uh, old Miss Jamie Traxels, the first year head coach, came over from Minnesota. That was the big offseason move. 
uh, in college softball coaching. Coming, you know, she led Minnesota to the Women's College World Series. Ruben Felix, our friend who used to be UCF assistant, was the interim coach and an assistant mm-hmm. at Ole Miss for many times, but uh, was not retained. Uh, a lot of people didn't have high expectations this year. They thought it'd be a rebuild team, but they've been really good. Thirty-one and sixteen. They're kind of. This is a top twenty. Depending on which poll you look at. This is a top 25 series. Uh, they got a great pitcher in Anna Borgen, who's 10-4 and four with a one-and-a-half ERA. I would expect UCF to see her on Friday night. She's a senior. Um, they've got good pitching with a two ERA. Offensively, they got some talented players. Uh, Paige Smith has some power. Interesting, a familiar name on the roster is Autumn Gillespie, who might be familiar to some softball fans. She was at UCF here in 2016 right. and 17 transferred to old miss uh and reunited with reuben felix and mike smith so she's been at old miss since 2018 so it's kind of funny that here it is in her super senior year she'll be facing you know we talked about riley buck uh mm-hmm. in a recent episode here's autumn gillespie who's had a pretty good career at old miss so ucf will get to see her it's a very tough series you're going to oxford you're going to an sec place uh, very interested to see how they match up. Interesting to see how they do the pitching matchups there with Aaliyah and Gianna. Do they use both of them for three games? And then who pitches the third game? Uh, but it's a good series, a very good series, two good teams. Um, the winner of this series probably stays up or moves up in the top 25, and the loser probably drops out, but who cares? It's it's <laughs> Both of these teams are tournament teams and uh, both trying to improve their resumes. Eight games left for UCF before they – Remember, they come back into conference. It's a long seven games. Seven games left. Seven, seven games. I'm sorry. Yeah, I thought it was a, for some reason. I keep thinking it was a three, four game series against Ole Miss. It's a three game set. Uh, they come back home for four against South Florida uh, on May seventh through the ninth, including the doubleheader on uh, Saturday. And you'll be calling those, right, Eric? On, on sa- when they come uh, back home for South Florida. That's the plan. Uh, now, there's a chance that ESPN might pick up one of those games nationally. We'll find that out early Ooh. this week. We'll see. So that would not be good for me personally, but it would be good for everybody else. So good for the program. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh. And that's senior weekend, by the way. So yeah, And that could have regular season title implications, either with UCF or South Florida. Likely it will. And then you have Corrick and you got Aaliyah White and Jasmine. It'll be their final weekend at home, likely. So It'll be emotional with that rivalry, which has been, you know, hasn't, it wasn't get played last year. By the way, depending on when you listen to this, since by the time you this uh, listens, the regional host sites will be announced. It'll probably be 20 sites will be announced for 16 spots. That's what I've heard. Uh, so that will give you an idea probably where UCF will end up. You'll have a pretty better idea, which probably will be Gainesville or Tallahassee. South Florida's got a pretty easy weekend coming up. They're playing ECU. That's correct. That's correct, so. ECU, with uh, Allison Kime doing commentary on ESPN Plus with yeah. Drew Felios. Good for Allie getting back How about in the, there. Yeah. Huh? A little getting weird to be doing Bulls game. games, but, you know, hey, man, you, you know. You we won't hold it against her. Paychecks are paychecks, you know. <laughs> it's right. So, All right, so Ole Miss, uh, that series starts uh, on Friday at 7. Uh, no word on TV for SEC that one. Network SEC Plus. Network Plus? Yeah, okay, unlike so. Memphis. Unlike Memphis, who decided who could not stream this softball series because they're apparently shorthanded staff-wise. Uh, Ole Miss does not have that problem. It will be all three games will be on SEC Network Plus. And you can get that through the ESPN Plus app, right? Should be able to. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. So that'll wrap it with softball. Last thing we want to talk about, track and field. We don't talk about, a lot about UCF track and field, but we need to start paying real close attention because we got a real star in the making out here. Uh, UCF had their home event uh, this past week. 
at the uh, uh, at the Knights invite, the star of the day was Renaya Jones. She's she competes in the hundred meter hurdles. She's a freshman. All right. She snaps off a new school record, not just a freshman record, which she already had this year, a personal record and a new school record in the hundred hurdles. Uh, of 12.73. Now, how good is that? That time qualifies her to try out for the U.S. Olympic team. That's how good that was. Smash Jackie Coward's old school record by almost a tenth of a second. Uh, and Jackie tried out for the Olympics a couple times, too. Now, she, she's that good, okay? But Renaya, wow, congratulations. Um, she was fighting back tears in the video you can see we posted on our nightcap this past week when she realized what she had just done um not just breaking the school record but an olympic qualifying time um wow what a moment for her and what a moment for for ucf track and field which uh, you know we've got some we've got some hurdlers out here of ucf that we've had for quite some time uh even going back to jackie and uh, and and a couple other folks we've had but to have a freshman post this kind of a, a, a mark is really, really amazing. And, uh, wow, future's looking really bright for U.S. track and field. We wanted to get that out, that shout-out out there because yeah, what, Dana, a, what, a, what a run. What a run. Dana Boone, you know, took over a couple years ago. Might have might have been one of Danny White's last hires, maybe. Um, you have to, I have to look back at the uh, time period there, but might have been one of his last hires as, as far as a head coach is concerned. Um Kind of quietly building this program back up to what it was under Coach Gilbert mm-hmm. when they were in the heyday, where they were NCAA regionals and tournaments. And uh, they've got talent there with Brian Jackson, who kind of runs the cross-country aspect of it and is the assistant. They've kind of built there quietly some talent there on that roster with track and field. And I think, you know, Valerie Lestrade kind of dominated the cross-country. She was just a freshman. Mm-hmm. Made headlines. And you mentioned now Renaya Jones. They're starting to build around. I think track and field here is on the rise, and I'll be. And I think you'll see some possibly here a contender for the uh, making the tournament this year. So, uh, salute to Dana Boone and that staff for uh, with kind of turning that program around after kind of a couple years of rebuild. Well, this weekend they're in Jacksonville for the UNF Invitational, which is their last regular season meet before the American Championships, which are in two weeks, May fourteenth. That's hosted by USF out in Tampa, May fourteenth through the sixteenth. NCAA East preliminaries are May 27th. So, again, UCF is aiming for that American championship. Uh, whether or not they're the favorite right now, I don't know. Usually Houston's pretty good at it. Yeah. When in doubt, just pick Houston. When in, yeah. When in, <laughs> Leroy Burrell, Carl Leroy Lewis. Leroy Burrell, Carl Lewis. Yeah. All those, they're all coaching there. Yeah. So, uh, but, uh, but they should contend. They should at least contend. Uh, well, and the, and the bright side is exciting there. Again, uh, the youth on this team is kind yeah. of the exciting thing about it. I mean, I, I it, it, that's the thing that's really you could see the 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 turn. I mean, Jones is just a freshman. She's just a redshirt freshman. She's already setting records. And then L- Lastra is a girl who could be the Anne Marie Blaney, the next Marie Blaney. She broke a lot of Blaney. Didn't records. she bro- break Anne Marie's uh, a couple of Anne Marie's freshman yes. records? Yes, during yeah. the cross country and then the indoor season as well. She's more of a distance run. She's the distance runner. 
but they've got talent here. They're young. And I think these are Coach Boone's recruits here. And I think uh, we're heading back to what it was. Remember the Coach Gilbert? They were dominant teams. They were a perennial. Yeah. Ariel and it, Scott, and it was a, a national long, champion. Coward, right. It was right? a long slog to get them to where they were in Carol Smith-Gilbert. That's how Carol Smith-Gilbert got the USC job. Yes. Yes, and that's why I think I ranked her top 10, top 11 in the uh, coaches there. But Dana Boone's done a good job. And uh, again, I think that might have been one of, if not the last Danny White head coaching hire, it was one of the last hires he made here at UCF. 2018 was when Dana came in. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I'm trying to think who else would have been hired after that. Well, what time in 2018? Because did Sydney Ball come in? Sydney was summer of 18. Summer of 18? Uh, I I just had Dana's... But she, uh, Dana was hired June 8th. Ooh, that's like neck and neck right there. Yeah. Wow. I think they were hired within a week of each other. That might be mistaken. true. Well, they both have looked pretty good. So yeah. Danny, Danny White left us pretty good coaches. Yeah. Breaking news. Hey, it's left us some pretty good. You left us some pretty good coaches. Also took some coaches with him. But anyway, yeah. let's. We won't, we're not going to open that. We're not going into that. We're not going into that. All right. Uh, let's wrap this thing up. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, UCF underscore banner at facebook.com slash black and gold banner. You can follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. You can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon on Twitter. And of course, black and gold banner at where we are your home for UCF sports, uh, on the SB nation network, where we got uh, lots of content coming at you every day, including our newsletter, which you can subscribe to. Thanks to Jeremy Brenner for putting that together every weekday, 9 a.m. The latest UCF sports related news in your inbox, not just from us, but around the world of UCF sports, uh, and uh, also we're going to be and, and we're going to be uh, pretty high up there this next couple days with the draft news. Uh, Luke Saris has a couple previews up for uh, Richie Grant, Aaron Robinson. We'll have a couple other things going up there as uh, players, as we do here, players get uh, get selected. We'll be sure to break that information for you uh, as soon as that happens. Eric, it's going to be a big week, man. Man, it's NFL drafts fun. Let's enjoy it. Uh, and hopefully uh, we see the UCF guys end up in places we want them to end up and not against, you know, not- like in my situation where I have to deal with Gabe Davis now a couple times a year. I want, yeah, I want, I want the, I want my Giants to draft a UCF guy. I don't know who, I don't care. I think the Giants have drafted one UCF player in <laughs> franchise history. It was Darcy Johnson. And and by the way, I always thank Darcy because he gave me an he gave me an autographed picture of him in a Giants uniform when he came down one time and I met him. He was doing a TV show with us, and uh, and and my buddy Nate Calif told him he's like, you know, Jeff's a big Giants fan. And Darcy's like, really, you're a Giants fan? He's like, I'm right back. He went out to his car and got me a and got me a, a photo and signed it for me. He said, I have it hanging on my wall here on the wall of fame. So Giants, come on, let's get it together, guys. Let's get let's get somebody. Let's get Richie. Let's there get Richie, go. Richie or A Rob. Let's go. Or Tay. I'll take Tay. Let's do. I'll take. You anybody. need help in the secondary. It sounds like you're calling for secondary. We use. Help. A, I want some secondary help. We need. All we right. need some. We need some. Uh, we need some receiver help too. I wouldn't mind getting Marlin. Okay. You know, take a flyer on Marlin late rounds. See what we All got. Right. Little All speed right. burner for uh, Daniel Jones to throw to. I'll take it. Marlin's got good hands. Just saying. Giants could use that. Yeah, Galladay. Yeah. And we got Galladay. We got we got Evan Ingram coming back, but like, well, he definitely needs help with the hands. Yeah, I know, I know. So, anyway, I, all right, that's all right. enough giant talk for the show. I know, I'm done with that. NFL draft tomorrow. We'll be we'll be watching it, following along with you. Follow us at UCF underscore Banneret for Eric and all of us here at Black Gold Banneret. I'm Jeff Singh. Thank you for listening. This has been the Black Gold Banneret podcast.